Do you struggle to find answers to your pelvic health problems? Do you feel silenced in your quest to just feel better? Women, girls, sisters, if you have experienced infertility, PCOS, incontinence, painful periods, sexual trauma, and so much more associated with the pelvis, then Women's Pelvis Wellness is a place for you. Me and experts from around the world are joining here to get you the answers to the holistic health that you have been seeking. Please join us in being a pelvis wellness warrior. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Women's Pelvis Wellness Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have this guest on um, because she is a very close personal friend of mine, as well as the creative genius behind all of my posts. So if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, all those fancy, beautiful things is all her doing. Um, but the reason why I'm having Janice on the podcast today is because Janice is currently um, in her ovarian cancer treatment and fight, and she has learned through this process how little is known about this. So she is here to shed light um, for all of the women listening to this and men you know, who are listening to this to share her experience and shed some light on a subject that really is not talked about or not really too much is known about. So thank you so much for being with us today, Janice. Yes, really appreciate it. So just share with us you know, a little bit about yourself and your journey and whatever it is that you're comfortable letting us know. Oh, sure. I'm an open book about this because it's really important to reach women, not just women. The thing about ovarian cancer is it can hit you at any age. So a female is as young as two years old are diagnosed with ovarian cancer, you know, from two to 102. Age really isn't as much as a factor as other, um, you know, as it can be for other diseases. It can be a factor for sure, but, um, it's not always a factor. So I'll tell you how it started for me. I was in full swing. I started my own business about three years ago. And anybody out there who started a business knows that the first two, three, four years are crucial in terms of building that client base and that loyalty, um, proving yourself. And so I was full swing at work, uh, gung-ho, getting up every morning, you know, super early, getting my, um, my trying to really excel at my career and um, I was having some slight symptoms but I just assumed it was uh, I ate too fast or I ate too late or I drank too much water but I live in a desert so I drink a lot of water <laughs> I'm waking up to go to the bathroom three times four times at night well I drink too much water you know I was making all these excuses and then one night I woke up in excruciating pain and the pain was in my lower abdomen, um, in the pelvic region, uh, but it wasn't on either side. It wasn't more to the left or more to the right. So I was laying there trying to figure out, it's not appendicitis, it doesn't feel like. It doesn't, it's not a gallbladder. <laughs> uh, what could this be? I told myself it was gas. It was something I ate, which is another thing I've been telling myself for several years. Um, then the pain happened again and it was so severe that I went to the ER and I remember looking at the doctor and saying, you're going to think I'm crazy, but it almost feels like there's something inside me that shouldn't be. And it seems like that was all I needed to say. The doctor said, we're going to do an x-ray. 
And uh, from the x-ray, they determined a large mass and what used what would have been my ovary was now a large mass. And they um, said, you need to follow up on this and don't wait, you need to follow up right away. And that's when I knew that something was more wrong than something I ate. <laughs> How large was the mass? You know, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it was the reason why I could go find out, but the reason I didn't concentrate on the size of the mass sure. is because I was focused on it not being cancer. Right. And so I kind of, in my mind, tuned out everything else. Other women I talked to, they know exactly what type of tumor it was that was found and how large it was. For me, I just said, it's not cancer. It's not cancer. <laughs> it's not cancer. Right, yep. I didn't exactly tune in on that. So um, the thing about this is that oftentimes the doctor will say, uh, you need to see an oncologist, uh, OB surgeon, an OB surgeon who's an oncologist, and we won't know for sure if this is cancer or not or to what degree until surgery. Uh, that's sometimes what, what a woman will hear. In some cases, chemotherapy or radiation is started before surgery. That would depend on the size of the tumor, uh, location, and all those good things. Uh, not good things. <laughs> yeah. So, I know what you mean. Yeah. So I um, had to go in for surgery. And because of COVID, everything was on you know delay and everything. And uh, I totally respect that. I totally respect our medical teams that are trying to keep us safe. So my surgery was scheduled for early April. And I had my first symptoms in uh, late January and then in February, early February, ended up in the ER again. The surgery was in April and it came back positive for cancer. And I just remember looking at my doctor and saying, no, there must be a mistake. <laughs> Not me, I don't have cancer, um, which is probably a reaction a lot of people have. Sure. And um, so I wanna talk a little bit more about the, the feeling that I had personally related to that. Um, I just want to stop and see if you have any questions before I go on. Well, the reason that I asked about the size of the tumor is because you and I had discussed previously and Janice had asked me, had you done your therapy with me earlier, could you have felt that? And my response to her was, well, absolutely, I could have felt that earlier. I couldn't say this is a cyst or this is a cancerous tumor, but I could say, hey, there's something in here that doesn't feel right. I would suggest at least getting it checked out. And I could have felt that before it got to the size that it got to, because I know that it was quite large. And the other thing that I want to talk about, and maybe this is what you were going to be going down, but... I wanted you to talk about your symptoms because you've been having symptoms for years but didn't realize it. Exactly. So yes. that's what I would like to, to just kind of mention because obviously it's gonna show up differently for other people, but there are a lot of symptoms that could easily be passed off as gas or indigestion or I just ate something I shouldn't have or whatever. So if you could just share those with us, that would be great. Yeah, so what started happening to me was I was so tired. I was unbelievably tired and couldn't explain why, which a lot of people will say, well, you can be tired from anything. Uh, but another symptom that I had was I would have this uh, pain in my lower left abdomen, kind of above my hip bone, um, and it would be this dull ache, and then it would be followed by diarrhea. And I thought it was something I ate. I thought it was stress. You know, I was going through transition and trying to 
staff working for other people, work full time for myself and my own business. That was a huge transition. So I blamed it on stress, blamed it on something I ate. The other symptoms that came later were when I uh, had a uh, too frequent need for urination. I suddenly had to go to the bathroom a lot. And I blame that on living in a desert and eating a lot of water. <laughs> so here I was, extremely tired, like extremely tired. And I saw my regular doctor and I said, hey, what do you think could be going on that I'm so tired all the time? And the response was, well, it could be any number of things. <laughs> yeah. So you're getting older. Okay. That's a good one. Yeah, so I, <laughs> so I um, was out jogging and eating healthy and taking supplements and trying to not be tired. The other thing that I had uh, was uh, some mild lower back pain, but I'm very active. So I just assumed I was wearing, that the shoes I was wearing were wrong or I moved my back the wrong way. So the signs and symptoms of ovarian cancer are very subtle. Lower back pain, too frequent urination. Uh, you could have pain during or after intercourse. Uh, could possibly be in, uh, bleeding um, when you shouldn't be. Uh, you could have uh, abdominal cramping and or abdominal bloating. So I started to look like I was pregnant. And what did women do? We blame ourselves. I've been eating too much or I've been sitting too much because I'm trying to build my business and I'm sitting all day and uh, all these excuses I was making without paying attention to my body. And then one day I called you crying and saying, I could cry right now, saying, yeah. if I had just seen you for your visceral manipulation, abdominal therapy for the abdomen, you could have possibly felt this. And I could have maybe at that point, maybe it would just be pre-cancer rather than had become cancer. Maybe it wasn't cancer at all. You know, uh, either way, it's very upsetting to think that, uh, all the signs and symptoms I had, I, I placated myself. I had doctors placate me that it's, it's nothing. It's old. You're getting older. It's the start of perimenopause is one thing I was told. Um, and so, but then I, I don't want to look back and regret. Um, I, sure. I, I want to look forward and share this message with women. They need to see you. <laughs> they need to have this therapy done because um, obviously we know for numerous reasons, but if I had just invested in myself, in my health, and given the chance of your therapy to give it a try and see if, you know, I had no idea anything was wrong with me, but I did have a child. I did have, um, you know, certain symptoms that, that could have been, it definitely intestinal issues, if nothing else. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so we need to, as women, we need to not just blow it off as something we ate. And we definitely need to invest in our health, right. our health and wellness, and not just take a pill, <laughs> but actually right. look for the root, you know, seek the cause of what may be bothering us. Right. Well, and one thing that I, I tell people, obviously women especially, is, you know, if your daughter or your sister or your mother or your best friend or a child was experiencing all of these symptoms, what would you tell them to do? You know, or it's the same thing. It's the same thing that I give my single friends and dating advice. You know, would you accept this kind of treatment for your child? From, you know, would it be okay for your child's boyfriend or girlfriend to treat them like that? Yes. Yeah, so not, then why is it okay for you? So it's the same thing. Like if you would be concerned about some loved one in your family, 
you better go get checked out. Well, then why don't you do that <laughs> for yourself? Yes. yes, we often, I think women are just such, on average, normally, I wouldn't say, I don't like to stereotype, but from my experience as being a woman and knowing a woman, <laughs> I can say from my experience that a lot of women are ultra caretakers and ultra givers. And we, we tend to put our own needs and wants uh, lower in, in value than in others. Sure. And definitely, if, one, if, if you came to me and said, hey, I'm, you know, I, I'm waking up having to pee like three times a night. <laughs> I would, the first thing I'd say is, that's not normal. Right. <laughs> you know, it's happening all the time. Once in a while, yeah, I said, you know, if you did drink too much water, but, you know, every night there's something wrong. You better go. So you're right. We have to be our own friends. We have to be our own best friends and be our own advocates. Um, you know, the thing that um, happened for me, too, is I got really angry about getting diagnosed, not because I was angry at having cancer, but I was angry that I just had an all clear OB visit in December. Just this past December, I had gone in and I thought to myself, um, you know, the doctor did an internal and external exam and a pap smear and everything came back normal. And so when I started to have other symptoms, I thought, well, the doctor didn't see anything, so I just must be crazy. <laughs> right. So that's, that's the other thing we might We have do. a lot of problems. Women seem to have a lot of problems that are just all in our head for some reason. Like oh, none yeah. of it's real. It's just all in our head. Yeah. And <laughs> I actually said, I don't blame this doctor in any way, shape, or form because the doctor was really trying to be helpful with me. And I said, toward the end of the visit, when I got the go-ahead, things are looking okay. We'll let you know how the pap smear is. Uh, I said, you know, um, she said, is there any questions you have? And I said, you know, um, bladder control, you know, needing to go frequently and or, uh, you know, just, just possibly some leakage. Is that something? And um, she kind of chimed in, well, I'm the same age as you. And this happens as we get older. Uh, you have a child, so did I. This happens. And I'm not blaming her in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying that I should have at that point said, maybe I... I need you to check this out because it seems too much more than normal. Right. Um, but I, I didn't. You know, part of it is the fear, the fear of what if something's wrong. Um, so anyway, getting back to when I was diagnosed, I got angry that in the 50 years I've been alive, and the past, what, 30 years I've seen an OB doc and a regular physician, not one doctor in my entire history of seeing doctors ever mentioned to me the signs, symptoms, and risks of ovarian cancer. Not one. And so Nor am I. Also, I'm, I'm, again, I love our medical staff. I love that they're out there to save yeah. us. I, I love my doctor. She's amazing. Right. But we need to have these conversations. And so I so applaud you for this podcast and for your work that you're doing to get women to open up about their pelvic health, their period pain, their bladder symptoms, uh, those odds and those weird pangs of pain that they might have, their endometriosis that they may not understand that they have, or their PCOS or um, amnorrhea. I had amnorrhea when I was younger. I didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> sure. You know? you know? Well, and I'm grateful for women like you who, um, who will tell their story because that's, that's the only way it's going to get out is the women who are willing to share their own experiences. And I say this all the time and I cannot express it 
more, but the inability to hold your urine is not a natural progression of age. However, it has become accepted as so. And this is the other thing. If something is abnormal for you, then it is abnormal. It doesn't matter that it might, might, may or may not fit a protocol. If it's abnormal for you, it's abnormal. And the unfortunate thing is that a lot of times, um, doctors' uh, hands are tied by insurance. The doctors are not controlling medicine. The insurance companies are controlling medicine. So if we can't, if we don't even have the opportunity to get a test or to have a deep conversation with a doctor that lasts more than 10, 15 minutes, I mean, we just don't have that opportunity. So there's amazing doctors. They just simply don't have the time and they don't have the, they're not encouraged to seek outside of, you know, what they've been taught. Exactly. And I want, that brings me to a very important point. Ovarian cancer does not show up in a pap smear. Right. That's bad enough. Now they're trying, insurance companies are trying to say that women only need a pap smear every uh, two or three years. And yeah. we are already behind the eight ball because ovarian cancer doesn't show up in a pap smear. So I, I really want all the women out there listening to, they need to take their health into their own hands and say to their doc, hey, I want to know about ovarian cancer. You know, I want to know the signs, symptoms, and risks about ovarian cancer. And they need to make sure they have that conversation because things in the conversation could come up that may signal that a person could be at risk. And some of those risks are if people, if there's other cancers in your family, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uh, colon cancer, liver cancer, if those cancers are in the family, somewhere in your family, it could be that you have a genetic mutation called BRCA, B-R-C-A. I'm no doctor, but I will say that the BRCA mutation is going to be BRCA1 or BRCA2. If you have either one of those genetic mutations, you have a very high, uh, an elevated, I should say, an elevated risk of breast and or ovarian cancer as a female. If a male has BRCA1 or 2 genetic mutation, they have a high risk of prostate cancers and a couple others. So knowing we need to know the signs, symptoms, risks of ovarian cancer, because again, it can affect a woman, at, or I should say a female of any age, at any time in their lives. And so we need to have these conversations with our doctors. And if they're placating you, like I was a few years ago, when I saw a doctor, it was, well, you're in perimenopause. This is just normal. And I thought, oh, okay. It wasn't normal. That right. growth was in me back then. That right. mass was in me back then. Right. So I encourage everyone, stand up and speak about it. Find out about it. Research about it. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually interviewing another woman that I went to college with who was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and ended up having a complete hysterectomy before the age of 30. So, you know, I mean, that literally changes how you feel about your whole life. Um, regardless of, you know, all of this women's empowerment and all these things that we have going on, um, you know, I think for most women, certainly not for all, but for a lot of women, um, you know, that, that inability to have children, I think, you know, I mean, is, is really, it's traumatizing, especially when that's what you really want. So, I mean, here's this woman now, she's not, she's not married. I mean, she is now she's married, but when you are a young woman and 
you know, that's kind of taken from you. It's like, well, thankfully I'm alive, but now, you know, I have this other thing, this other hurdle that I have to um, overcome. And that's, I mean, a lot of times that's the only treatment that they have is, you know, to remove it. There is, there is no other, you know, complete treatment for it. So that's why knowing your body, knowing what's normal for you is so important and really, you know, educating yourself, being your own advocate. Unfortunately, we do have to be that. And what I find is, I mean, we don't have a bunch of medical professionals walking around on the street. We, people don't know which questions to ask and they may not know which practitioners to even seek out to get those answers. Exactly. So looking back, when I said my, my reaction was to get angry, it wasn't angry about being di diagnosed. It was angry in two ways. I was a little bit angry with myself for not expressing a little further, not pushing a doctor a little further. Hey, I think I have this symptom or um, I'm not sure, but I think I felt this thing. Just to be willing to talk to my doctor because I think part of it was fear. You do fear that something could be wrong. If you're young and want to have children, you could fear that you would end up with a um, hysterectomy. And um, so yeah, that fear could hold you back. But when it comes to saving your life, you know, you might want to pass that fear up because <laughs> it obviously, sure. the earlier you're detected, the better. Unfortunately, because we aren't spoken to or instructed about the signs, risks, and symptoms, I should say the symptoms, risks, and signs, symptoms, and risks of ovarian cancer, because we're not spoken to about that, um, we're most, unfortunately, most women are caught in stages three and four. And that means it has metastasized, moved outside of the uterus or the uh, ovaries, and into other areas of the abdomen. Uh, so that's why it's super important to not be fearful, but to stand up and seek help and, and ask questions. So, uh, you know, that's why I totally love what you're doing. I think this is fabulous. So let's get these conversations going and keep them going. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. I mean, and that's that's really where the change starts. It starts with the conversation. It starts with women you know, they're so embarrassed, they're so ashamed, you know, they're, they're in fear of what other people are gonna think. And I can guarantee you whatever you're struggling with, there's a handful of other women who you know who are struggling with the exact same thing and they're feeling the exact same way. That's why we have to break the silence and we can no longer, you know, be quiet about this because, you know, people are always evolving, science is always evolving, we're always learning new things and the medical community doesn't know everything. Just like, just like the natural or holistic doesn't know everything. You know, we have to do things, there has to be integrative and it has to be collaborative. That's the best way that we're really gonna help people, you know, move forward. And, you know, all I ask is anyone who's listening to this who might be in the medical field is, you know, I'm not out here saying I'm right and you're wrong. I, what I would like is open-mindedness just be open to a just be open to a conversation. You know, that's all that I ask. Be open to listening to a conversation. You know? I agree. I agree so heartedly. Um, I m most of my doctors have been very open when I ask questions, but because I was uninformed about ovarian cancer, I didn't know those questions to ask. Exactly. So I have started a petition to have uh, make it uh, so that every um, OB doctor, I'm sorry, there's different, there's different, there's kind of a range of doctors. So I'm just gonna say OB 
affiliated doctors, I'm trying to make it so that it's mandatory that they at least have information for women about ovarian cancer, signs, symptoms, risk. Every visit, every visit, talk to, hand them a pamphlet, mention something. And the reason why I'm advocating for that is because we're most often caught in stages three or four because we don't know about it. We don't know what questions to ask. We don't know what conversation to start. So again, like you, I don't blame anybody. I want the open conversation. Uh, also, the other thing I will say is that if I was sidelined, completely blown away that I have BRCA2, I'm positive for a BRCA2 genetic mutation, which puts my risk of breast cancer super high. For whatever reason, it started, my, my risk for ovarian cancer is a little bit lower, but for whatever reason, it started that way in my body. I had no knowledge of this genetic mutation. <laughs> Again, something we're not taught about. I understand there's insurance limitations. I understand that we don't want to frighten patients. We don't want to look at a patient, you know, as a doctor and say, have you ever heard of the BRCA2 genetic mutation? And the person goes, oh my God, I'm dying. You know, <laughs> right. like, we don't want them to do that. But we do yeah. want to inform and engage in those conversations. So uh, I, I'm advocating, I started a petition on petition.org, uh, again, for this conversation to take place. Uh, every OB visit. And also I think women should advocate in their state to not allow insurance companies to say you only need a pap smear every two to three years. That right. is because we a lot could, can change. A lot can change in a year, let alone three. Yes. And the other thing what I um, wanted to say is that right now I have a huge scar in my abdomen. When you have ovarian cancer, during surgery is when we find out more in some cases. In my cases during surgery that we had the confirmed diagnosis. So they go further up. At that point the surgeon goes further up into a fatty layer in your stomach and removes that because cancer cells like to, like to hide under there. And they also call them. Yes, thank you. I didn't want to use too many techno uh, medical terms yeah, for the omentum. Yeah. And they also remove lymph nodes to see if there's any cancer in the lymph nodes. So you end up with a much longer incision. It goes above your belly button down to your pubic bone. And again, that can really affect a woman's self-esteem. So um, that I can think, cause a lot of upset with because of scar tissue. Yes. So Very what I'm going to say is I I see my doctor regularly um, now because I'm in treatment for this, and I said to her, you know, the scar tissue can cause other issues. It can cause to it could cause internal organs to adhere improperly, and it can cause my body as it readjusts to not having a uterus or ovaries in there anymore to maybe settle in, in improper places. And so I said, I, I'm, I'm all about visceral manipulation therapy to take that scar tissue and make sure that organs are free to move. And she was all for it. She awesome. was so, yeah, so I think a lot of doctors are open um, yeah. when you know about the therapy that you give. A lot of women don't know about the therapy you give. <laughs> so right. you provide, I should say. So yeah, so um, that conversation is key as you said. Definitely. So I was wondering if you could just take us a little bit through the treatment process, because I know what your process is about, because obviously we're friends and we've been talking. And so you had your surgery and they removed everything that they had to remove. And then what happened? So in surgery, it was a full hysterectomy, a complete hysterectomy. And then what they call a debulking. The debulking is the omentum removal and um, lymph node removal to check to see if this cancer has, that they have found has metastasized. There's different types of tumors, there's different types of cancers. Uh, the most common is the type that starts in the 
um, fallopian tube and makes home in an ovary. And that's exactly what happened in my case. So my treatment is gonna be kind of dictated toward that. Whereas a, a woman whose cancer may have started in, within her uterus or somewhere else, her treatment might be slightly different. On average, the care for ovarian cancer, the treatment up for it is very similar. Most of us all end up with two types of chemotherapy and they want six rounds of it. So six rounds of carboplatin and taxol uh, makes your hair fall out everywhere. No eyebrows, no eyelashes, no hair in your head. And some women find that very traumatic. But for me, that wasn't traumatic. For me, the way the chemotherapy made me feel was traumatic. Uh, I understand what chemotherapy does and what it's for. So I fully respect that. Uh, at present, there is no immunotherapy that we know of that works for ovarian cancer. Immunotherapy is a different type of treatment for cancer. We have that available for breast cancer. And right now, on average, I would say a large portion, large percentage of women uh, who do experience breast cancer are in the upper 90 percentile for being cured for good. <laughs> uh, whereas ovarian cancer, that is far from the truth. So treatment for us is, uh, at this point, only um, chemotherapy. And at this, once you're done with chemotherapy, in my case, because I'm BRCA2 positive, my doctor has decided that I should be on a maintenance drug. And a maintenance drug is, um, it, it kind of talks to your genes a little bit, if you will, for lack of getting into too many scientific terms, and kind of tells it not to uh, allow cancer cells to break up and grow and accelerate. But the problem with that is that ovarian cancer is very sneaky and cancer itself is very smart. It's uh, for me, I'm a computer geek, right? I love computers. I love being working in that. Uh, cancer is kind of like code. It figures out your immune system's code and it figures out how to use your immune system against itself sometimes. It figures out how to block the immune system from doing what it's supposed to do. It's all by code. It's all sending it these uh, binary digits, if you will, to say, hey, don't do that. You're going to be on my side now, and we're going to spread this disease. So uh, it starts with chemotherapy, uh, surgery, chemotherapy. Some, some women end up in radiation. I did not. And then maintenance drugs after that. And then forevermore, you go for uh, abdominal scans, and you test your CA125, cancer antigen 125, is a test that uh, will reveal in your blood work. Um, CA125 can be elevated for various reasons, but if it's super elevated, it could be, or, and other symptoms associated with it, it could be an indicator that the cancer has returned or has started. Okay, okay. So I guess, you know, where, where do you sit or where do you stand or where are you right now, I guess? I'm on fire. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I am on full fire telling everyone I meet about the science and symptoms and risk of ovarian cancer. Male, female, doesn't matter. I'm telling everybody. I'm on fire to make a change. So I started the petition on petition.org. That and we that, I want everybody to know that that link will be in the show notes. So you will have a link um, directly to that petition where you can sign up and you can share it. Thank you. I'm also hopefully going to be working with the National Ovarian Cancer Coalition to start a group in the state that I live in to again be an advocate, not so much support as it is to be advocate and to spread knowledge about this disease. Um, and so I'm on fire to make a change because I, I may be alive for 30 years 
or I may only be alive for three more years. I personally don't know. None of us do. My risk is a little higher where I'm in that category where my life could be cut short a little sooner than others um, in terms of disease. So I'm going to spend every minute that I have uh, when I'm not enjoying my wonderful career to be an advocate for, for women um, of all ages regarding their, uh, their abdominal health. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. No, thank you for that. That's so great. And I always tell people too, it, it seems that when it seems like when you have a healer in, in whatever aspect they're healing and it's a woman and she's so passionate, it usually happens because she didn't get answers when she was going through it. So then she goes on to heal. She had to find out how to heal herself. So then yeah, she, yeah. again, starts her own business and goes on trying to help people heal from the same thing, you know, that she healed from. And I've been learning so much, you know, in this process along the way, just from being your friend and obviously, you know, having you on here. And again, thank you so much for being on. And is there any, um, are there any, you know, last words that you might want to just kind of share with people before we go? Last words. It sounds so <laughs> last words. You can never say that to someone who's got a bald head. No, I'm just teasing. No, right? <laughs> I would say the most I mean, uh, thing you can do is uh, try to keep a sense of humor about the disease if you have an illness because you have to try to keep your spirits up and believe that uh, what you're going through, you're definitely not alone. There's uh, people all over the world going through similar or worse. And so keep your sense of humor. Seek healers of all types like you can do. Uh, you know, I've, I've contacted you for readings and, and uh, Reiki and whatever else might be there. Definitely check out this room manipulation therapy because it could be, um, it could really make a difference in, in your life. And um, so, yeah, just try to keep a sense of humor, stay positive, stay hopeful. And, um, you know, where, where someone else is weak, we're strong. And look for your strengths and, and celebrate them. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks being for on. Me. Thank you for sharing your story with us. I really appreciate awesome. it. Okay. Thank so you, So just Jen. to remind everybody, um, Janice's links, you know, how to find her, how to find um, her petition will all be in the show notes. And um, yeah, like I said, thanks again. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for joining me today on Women's Pelvis Wellness, where you can be heard. Because remember, if you're not being heard, you're not being helped. Please join my Facebook group by the same name, Women's Pelvis Wellness, and join a community of women who are there for you to support you, guide you, and love you through your pelvic health struggles. Also, this is a great place to check out my new class schedule. Thank you for joining me in becoming a pelvis wellness warrior.